Good afternoon. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Anton Matthews and Sally Wenley joining us today. Now reports of a breakdown on State Highway 2 blocking a southbound lane towards Tauranga near the intersection of Murray Lees Road. Uh, followed directions of emergency crews uh, and we'll keep you up to date on that and any other traffic uh, throughout the hour. Let's check into these Coalition Talks. Act Party Leader David Seymour flew into Wellington for Coalition Talks today and Winston Peters, he's spoken for the first time this afternoon saying negotiations were substantial, they're progressive and speed is of the essence he said National has been negotiating with each party separately but this is the first formal get together between its two potential partners who regularly clashed during the election campaign Act leader David Seymour has texted and called uh, New Zealand First Winston Peters to try and arrange a meeting but Peters said he suspected it was fake and did not respond. And, by the way, in other political news just in this afternoon, Labour leader Chris Chris Hipkins has been dealt a fresh blow with a new poll, showing his popularity plummeting nine points to 18% in the most recent taxpayers' union Curia poll. With us is a political political commentator and PhD candidate at Otago University, Michael Swanson. Kia ora, Michael. Uh, Kia ora, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, this is taking uh, all a little m- more time than we first expected, do you think, Michael? I don't know if it is. I think we're, I mean, if you look at the history, we're a long way off any sort of records for longest negotiations. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just have to think back to the first MMP election of 1996, where Mr. Peters went fishing for over a month. Uh, and left everyone hanging for quite some time. So the the fact that all three leaders are in Wellington less than a week after the final results are out is is really promising, I think. Yeah, and I guess the next thing uh, will be, or will it not, to be trying to get some commonality uh, or three leaders in a single room. Yes, the, yeah, that's that's really the next big step is is when the three can actually sit down together. There's actually a lot of commonality if you look at their policy platforms, uh, particularly areas like law and order, agriculture, even health. Uh, there's 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 some areas where they are not that far apart, but it's getting in a room together that seems to be the the tricky part. Yeah, let's go get it on panel. Uh, what do you reckon, Sally? Well, I'm I'm intrigued because Luxon, um, I understand, wants to go to the APEC summit in San Francisco next week as the Prime Minister, and I think he has to leave on Wednesday. Um, do you reckon he's going to make it? Uh, look, I, I don't know, but I, I'm actually, I, I guess I'm a bit more optimistic than most. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw some sort of in-principle agreement come out in the next few days. Uh, whether it's over the weekend or early next week. The detail of that will be a bit slower coming, but it would not surprise me if there was some kind of agreement, uh, like I say, in principle before that. Yeah, because it is quite, it's a good point actually, uh, uh, Michael, because it's quite an important summit and uh, one gets the impression that uh, he really wants to be there. Uh, What's your questions or thoughts, Anton? Um, Yeah, well, I mean, I... You have to get in the room and talk together. 
yeah. talk you know talk to each other if you're gonna before anyone agrees to anything you know they have to put their big pants on and actually face up and even if they don't like each other you know i mean it's like you don't have to like the people that you work with but you do have to do your job and you have to be professional so yeah i think they have to probably put their personal disagreements aside and whatever um you know things that they've thrown back and forth over the last few months that all kind of has to be put in the past and get together and have a court at all good old-fashioned yeah. court at all i'm curious michael so like if um for example they do meet uh, uh they do have an agreement over the weekend what's the process then for for luxon to be sworn and how, mm. how quickly does that happen i'm just curious oh it, it could be within hours of that being that being done mm. uh so if, if an agreement is reached whatever that agreement looks like whether it's all three parties in coalition or two in coalition, one in confidence and supply, whatever that arrangement looks like, uh, it could be that day that Christopher Luxon goes to the Governor-General and says, I have this on the table, uh, this is the arrangement, and go from there. So it could be, if an agreement came out over the weekend, it could be Monday, Tuesday, that there is a swearing in. And, and all they have to do at that point, actually, is swear in the Prime Minister from memory. They don't have to go through and swear in others until a later date, uh, yeah. until Parliament sits, but he could be sworn in as Prime Minister as early as uh, Monday, Tuesday. Tell me, okay, yeah, so it's not yeah, interesting. Yeah, can, I, can I ask you, who holds all the cards here, do you think, Michael? Is it Chris Luxon? Is it Peter's? I think it's, if you look back, 2017 was sort of our, our sort of nearest reference point, and it was a very different situation. Winston Peters had two options. He had National and he had Labour, and he ended up choosing to go with, with Labour in that situation. He doesn't have that this time around. Uh, the, the relationship with Labour is nigh on non-existent, uh, and so he really only has National to negotiate with. So he doesn't have quite as much power as he maybe did six years ago. In saying that, uh, he is a seasoned professional at doing this. He knows exactly how to get the most out of this uh, for himself and for New Zealand First. So while he doesn't hold as much power, I think he is still a very formidable player in all of this. But I think Luxon probably has more power in this situation than either... English or Ardern did in 2017. Yeah, right. Uh, Michael, looking at the Act leader, David Seymour, he's obviously had a pretty good run. And I'm interested to know what you might think, what portfolios do you think he could be aiming for or, or what might suit him if he is part of the mix? Yeah, if, if he's part of the mix and if uh, whatever that agreement might look like, I, I think he would be aiming for something like and I've been trying to think of a name for it, but something like a Minister for Regulatory Reform uh, would be a big one for him because he has talked about slashing red tape and uh, destroying regulations and all of this sort of thing. I also think he would want a hand in the finance jar, so to speak, so whether it's an associate finance role. Uh, I also think that given their size, it wouldn't be uh, – it would be – pretty realistic to have Brooke Van Velden in the mix as well. Uh, and given her background, I think it wouldn't be out of sorts to see her somewhere in that uh, uh, trade space or economic development space as well. Can I just bring up something Anton said? Because one of the things that really characterised uh, the campaign for me was the actual vitriol. I'm not going to say hatred because I don't think it was that, but it was just the... Uh, 
the the lack of respect between David Seymour and Winston Peters it was really quite heightened, and he suddenly. You've got these two gentlemen having to be in a room, not now but in the future, and actually to nut out uh, a long working relationship. It's quite the call, isn't it? Oh, it's a huge call, and uh, it's very interesting to see how quickly uh, tunes changed after the final results on Friday, where... uh, Mr. Seymour straight away came out and said, "Oh no, I'm 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 happy to now sit around the table uh, with Mr. Peters," mm. which was the uh, a complete 180 from the election campaign. Um, Mr. Peters doesn't forget these sorts of things. He might be able to push it to one side. He's he's very good at doing that and actually getting on with the job, but he won't forget what was said. So that that's always going to be right. a lingering thing in the background. Well, that is interesting. Hey, Michael, uh, what, Anton, one one quick point. Yeah, I'm just real. I'm curious. So you, you talked about the commonality between obviously the three parties that we're talking about, and and obviously there's some things where they disagree as well, which is probably the thing that's holding it up the most. When they finally do reach an agreement, will we know what each party has has you know got over the line and perhaps what they've conceded? When that when that agreement is met, or do we sort of have to wait, you know, for the next three years to play out to find out what's actually being discussed and, you know, where the wins and where the losses are? Do you know? I think you will probably get a very clear picture quite quickly of the big wins and the big losses. Uh, I don't think you'll have to wait to see uh, some of those big things, particularly areas such as the referendum on the treaty uh, that uh, David Seymour has talked a lot about. I think we'll know pretty quickly whether that is still in play or not. Uh, The other one that I think will be a really interesting one and be quite quick to pop up is whether the retirement age will change because I think Winston Peters will have that as a central part of his... Uh, his asks is that that oh, does not change. It's going to be so, so interesting. I think those sorts of things will be pretty obvious pretty quickly. Nice one, Michael. Mm. Thank you. That's Michael Swanson, the uh, political commentator, PhD candidate at Otago University. I just wanted to jump onto you, Anton, and you mentioned that uh, the, the, one of the big ones, the big wish list issues being this so named referendum on the treaty. Someone said, and I can't recall who it was, if this happened, it would be like 20 Springbok tours. Such would be the unrest in this country. What do you think? Um, well, look, I mean, I, I obviously completely oppose uh, the idea of a referendum on Te Tiriti or Waitangi. That's my personal opinion. Um, look, I think ha- if, if we got into a situation where we had to have a referendum, um, that's one thing. I think what I would be more concerned about at that point is how the country votes. I'd be deeply uh, saddened if, our, if it was anything close to, um, you know, getting rid of the titties or waitangi. I would, I would like to think, based on what I see and what I, who I talk to, and the feedback and the the general feel of things when I go out there and I talk to people, I would like to think that even if it did get to a stage, and I hope it doesn't, but even if it did get to a stage where there was a referendum, that uh, the people of Aotearoa overwhelmingly would vote uh, that down, and that we would and, and would understand that titties is a fundamental part of our democracy. Um, so yeah, I mean that's my personal pick-up. Eighteen past for the panel, uh, NZ National. Sally Wenley, Anton Matthews joining me today. If you think your power bill has gotten out of hand, spare a thorn for the people of Tauranga. It turns out they have the highest power bills in the country, almost 
20% higher than the average cost. A couple of days ago, a report on energy hardship was released, which posited that many do not understand the information on their electricity bill. Consumer NZ has commented on the report, agreeing that power providers should be more transparent with consumers. With us uh, is Tauranga resident David Riley. David, welcome. Welcome. Well, good to have you here. I thought I thought I saw this, and I thought my power bill is big enough. I was quite shocked to see that it's almost twenty percent higher than the average cost. As someone living there, what's your thoughts on this? Well, affordable electricity is something that we should all take for granted, and it's awful if, if people um, can't keep themselves warm, can't afford to cook food, can't keep the lights on be forced to go on to prepay programs um, which cost more, um, pay disconnection fees if they can't keep up with their bills. I mean, it's just awful, uh, and the consequences are, are, are lousy. You know, I mean, it's just not something that we should tolerate. Is it the talk of the town? I wish it was, and uh, no, it's not. Um, we, we, we've got a peculiar problem here because we have a, a, a very wealthy Trust, which does a lot of good works in the city, uh, they're named Tech, and um, we, we all like and appreciate what they do. But they have a, a sort of a, a nasty um, side to them, which is they distort the, the pricing for electricity in this town. And for us, it's not the lines charges that are that are wrong because we're treated quite reasonably by the lines company, but. Because the, this electricity trust only gives out their $500 rebate to customers who have been with originally Trust Power and now moved over to Mercury. So that becomes the, the standard price for electricity. Oh, I see. So people don't want to move. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually on the same yeah. uh, declaration. I'm, I'm with Mercury as well, so I get this rebate, yeah. Sally. Yeah, I, I well, yeah. am as well. Gosh. Yeah, but- but here, 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 it's a, it's a, what it's meant is that sixty percent of the town have stayed with Mercury. I see, and uh, and they they set the prices, and the prices basically um, almost what people can afford, plus the five hundred dollars that the rebate would normally be. And what that means is, if if people don't get the rebate, they're even more badly affected, and uh, because everything is jacked up, the other companies don't really compete. It's too hard for them to start up against that $500. And the thought that it's coming from a, a, an, an energy trust that's basically community-owned and they're subsidising a, a retail company and hurting local people. And, I mean, that's just... Right. David, David we've right. got a panel with us. Sally, let's join, you join in. David, I'm interested to know what what competition is there. You said that there's not much. How how many other companies are providing? I, I can't tell you exactly. It's a reasonable number of companies, but we seem to have sixty percent almost with one company, and then you're down to the second most um, common one is about twelve percent, and then eight percent. Those sort of figures. There's nowhere else in New Zealand does the market look like that. We're Gosh. kind of. It's like the old days, really, when there was a power board, you know, and you like it or lump it. Yeah. Oh. So speaking of um, like it or lump it, apparently there is another option. This report that um, Wallace and you are referring to, um, it recommended that the Electricity Authority and the Commerce Commission investigate 
network pricing. Do you know if this is happening or is there any way you yourself and your community could prompt it to start? We, we've been trying for a long time. We've been asking the minister to intervene. We've tried with the Commerce Commission. They all seem to have uh, agreed that there's a problem, but doesn't quite tip over to the threshold of, of, of throwing a lot of money at it because it, it will be fought by the power companies in court. So, you know, it's an expensive process, it, it would appear, to get this to change. And, and it, it, we're the only place in New Zealand that it, it's like this. So you can see the people in Wellington, oh, well, it's only Tauranga and you know, they've all got some money or something. Well, they're simply not true. There's a, the times are really tough. Yeah, Anton. Yeah, oh, look, I have a lot of aroha for you, mate. It sounds, it sounds like a pretty rough situation. I, um, how's one of those things? Oh, it's worth shopping around. Um, it's, it's one of those things that, like in our whare, in our house, we, we kind of regularly, you know, every year, a year or so, um, we try not to get locked into contracts. It's worth shopping around. I think currently we're with PowerShop. They seem to be... Um, the, oh, yeah. The, or, yeah, and it's quite cool because... You get to the, on their app. You can they have um, you know you can pre-purchase power. So when you know in the middle of summer when power is at its cheapest, you can actually pre-purchase a whole bunch of kilowatts from the um, uh, you know from the company, and then you, you just store them there until you need them the most in winter. So I mean there are some there are some organisations out there doing it differently. I don't know if you can get PowerShop, and I'm not I don't work for PowerShop. They're not paying me to say this, but that's what <laughs> we use. Another actually, I'll tell you who who another really cool company is is called No Maida. They're a Kopapa Maori. Um, Organisation. I don't know if you can get them, but they're worth checking out as well. They're a really cool organisation. They, they, they won't take on new customers. I understand they have trouble getting hold of enough contracted electricity to supply people. So this mm. is all sort of here. Yeah, there are multiple problems with the uh, retail electricity industry, that's for sure. David, kia ora. Nice to have you on the programme. I appreciate your time. Good. Thank you very much. Uh, and that uh, that's a good point, isn't it, uh, uh, Anton, that that idea of actually, uh, if there's one thing you can do, it's learn to shop around in a way that we have done with uh, the other things we use in our daily lives, like your banks or say your internet. And, and not only that, like if if you if you take the long term approach and um and you're willing to make the investment, you know things like solar. I know the, I mean I, I it's easy for me to say I haven't done it myself, mm. but um I know that banks and stuff. I think some of the banks, in fact, often often they give you a zero percent or a very low interest rate for anything that's green and sustainable. And I think um lots of people have done the maths on it. if you can install solar panels, you can actually make money off your power. But that requires you know um laying out a bit of, a bit of dough to get started, and that's not easy for everyone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway. Very good. All right, uh, that's uh, that story. Uh, people of uh, do spare a thought for the people of Tauranga where their power bills have, uh, well, 20% higher than the average cost. Goodness. 26 past four, you are on the panel RNZ National. Well, this week is Play Week, a celebration launched by Sport New Zealand E. Aotearoa to note the value of of play. And it got me thinking about those, well, I guess those classic schoolyard games that uh, many of us used to love. Uh, and there have been many responses come through. Uh, and I put it to you what were your favourite games to play at school? Personal phase, any injuries? Were there games that were banned at school? Here's a few from our wonderful listeners. We played Barbador, as it was called in the 50s. Wouldn't have a clue of what that is. No. Uh, marbles and hopscotch also. Redder says patterball. 
I think otherwise known as four square or king of the square and knuckle bones. Hopscotch is a really big one. Uh, Padded tennis was our game of choice, says another person. And for me, uh, Sally, it was bull rush. And I would like to know if it is banned or not in 2023, because I can tell you something. It was the most fun I have ever had. <laughs> I I couldn't wait. And was it banned because it was super fun or was it banned because it was dangerous? And is it still banned? I don't know. Maybe some schools do, some don't. I am in your camp there, Wallace. I loved Bull Rush. So you played it as well? Yeah, I went to a little country school called in Maraia Takahou, um, west of Hastings. And it wasn't a big school. And, yeah, when the bell rang, we'd sprint out and you had to have the same number at each end of the field. And there were arguments over who was going to be in whose team. And there was a barbed wire fence around it. And on the odd occasion, I remember getting jammed up. Somebody tackled me, getting injuries on my arm from the old barbed wire fence. But you'd leap up and say, no, I didn't get down. I didn't get down. I'm still playing. And there was um, boys and girls, and it was just fun. And there was, and when it had been raining, the mud, all the divots. And, too much. Yeah, it was too, great. Anton Matthews, too look. much fun here. Too much fun, yeah. No, the good old days, eh? I, um, yeah, look, I've got some really great fond memories of playing Ball Rush as well. You, you, I was going to say that um, before before you, you said it. So I was thinking to myself, what else did I used to play? We had this game called Gutter Ball, and I don't know if it was just us, but basically what it was was a, a little triangle. It was made out of timber, out of wood, and you, you put it on the ground, and you'd have someone on each side, and you had one tennis ball, and you had to throw it at the triangle, and it would rebound. So you had to hit the triangle on the ground and it would rebound and you'd catch it. And if you caught it, you got to take a step back. And, you know, so that was that was a lot of fun. The other thing that I have really great memory, and it was always a rush, you know, as soon as the bell rang, was the flying fox, Wallace. Oh. We, had, we had this flying fox, which was so fun. And, you know, as soon as the bell rang, you know, you wanted to get there as soon as you could because um, there was always a long line for the flying fox. So that's another one of the things that I, I miss, the old flying yeah. fox at school. The fly, If you had a flying fox at school... It was a cool school. That would be yeah. really cool. Uh, someone yeah, says, yeah. Um, I, I loved Bull Rush. Bull Rush broke my arm. I'm a teacher. Uh, we play versions of Bull Rush that they make up parents' complaints are the reasons schools ban games. Too many helicopters in society. So I didn't know that. I well, that's Whether or not that's true or not. Someone else says, Rowena, says, I love Bull Rush too. My kilt had rips in every pleat and no buttons on my shirt. Ha, ha, ha. Bayfield High School in the 80s. That's Dunedin. Um, Barbador is Bull Rush. Um, so, yes, indeed. Bull Rush fans unite, it seems. Huh? Bring back Bull Rush. Let's make it part of the curriculum. Is, is that a is that a, is that, is that the one and only panel petition? Is that a twenty twenty four panel petition? Yeah. Uh, here, here's another one, Deb and Welly. I love bullish at school. So much fun. Such a pity the police or the fun police candid. Anyway, you are on the panel. Uh, NZ National this afternoon. Sally Wenley and Anton Matthews. Stay with us.